and welcome to Transit Research Today, the official podcast of the Transit Cooperative Research Program. I'm Diane Schwager, a Senior Program Officer of the Cooperative Research Programs at the Transportation Research Board. I'm excited because we have a great program for you today. Before we begin, I want to let you know about the Transit Cooperative Research Program. The TCRP is part of the Transit Research Board and the National Academy of Sciences. TCRP is funded by the Federal Transit Administration, FTA, and works in partnership with the American Public Transportation Association, APTA. It's an applied research program that develops practical solutions to problems facing public transportation every day. We do so by conducting research, publishing reports, hosting webinars, and convening experts. Today, we will hear about one of those reports, TCRP Report 237, Fair Free Transit Evaluation Framework. Joined with me are one of the authors of this resource guide, along with representatives from two transit agencies who have implemented fare-free transit services, Amy, Christina, and Sarah. Could you please introduce yourselves to our listeners? Sure. Hello. I'm Amy Bettine. I'm a principal at Nelson Nygaard Consulting Associates. And I'm Christina Barone, Director of Planning and Development for Link Transit in Wenatchee, Washington. I oversee a team of 11 staff with diverse functions like service planning, rideshare, mobility management, customer service, and outreach. And I'm Sarah Ingle, Executive Director of Planning at the Rhode Island Public Transit Authority. My team of four oversees capital and fleet planning, sustainability initiatives, human services transportation coordination, and strategic planning and innovation initiatives for the agency. Thank you for having us today. Welcome. So Amy, tell us a little bit more about Nelson Nygaard. Why was your firm interested in public transit fare research project? Sure. So we are a consulting firm of 160 people with staff across the U.S. We work with clients to support planning for all modes of transportation. And our approach includes adhering to our core values around mobility, accessibility, and sustainability for all. And one of the ways that we support our clients is through studies related to fare policy, fare structure, and more recently, helping them evaluate fare-free pilot programs, as well as preparing for transition to new fare technology. Christina and Sarah, before we get started, tell us a little bit more about Link Transit and RIPTA. What do those acronyms stand for? Sure. Uh, well, Link Transit actually um, isn't an acronym, but we really are about connecting our communities. We're a small urban agency located in central Washington state, about two and a half hours east of Seattle, um, just on the east side of the Cascade Mountain Range. Our service area covers 3,360 square miles, and we have an urban area community of about 50,000 people, plus some really uh, kind of high visitation tourist areas, as well as some extremely rural areas. So essentially, we cover a lot of ground. We operate both bus and paratransit service, along with other services like Vanpool, general public dial-a-ride, a volunteer driver program, and a seasonal route to our local ski area. As of January 2024, we operate 33 vehicles in peak service on 18 routes. We also have a really robust electric bus program that began back in 2010. So currently, we have 23 electric 30-foot and 35-foot vehicles that we mostly operate in urban service. It's actually about 60% of our peak fleet, and we're the first agency in the U.S. to install wireless inductive charging. 
We also have 12 40-foot diesel coaches that we use to operate our long-distance intercity service. And actually, in 2023, we just surpassed 1 million fixed-route boardings for the first time since 2015, which we're super excited about. And this is Sarah. So RIPTA, the Rhode Island Public Transit Authority, is just one of two statewide transit agencies in the country with a service area population of just over 1 million and annual ridership of 11.4 million. Our bus service is centered around the capital city of Providence and includes routes spanning from the town of Westerly on the Connecticut border to Woonsocket to the north, where we share a border with Massachusetts, and down to Newport in the south, which is a major tourist destination in the summer months. We're located just one hour from Boston, and we have multiple connections to MBTA commuter rail, as well as to Amtrak's Northeast Corridor service at its Westerly, Kingston, and Providence stations. We operate nearly 3,000 daily trips on 58 fixed routes, as well as ADA paratransit service, on-demand flex service, and park and ride service at 32 sites across the state. We have a core fleet of 188 40-foot buses, as well as 32 35-footers and 85 flex and paratransit vans. And we're about to launch electrified service with a fleet of 14 battery electric buses on our flagship route, the R-Line, which accounts for nearly 20% of our overall passenger traffic and carries 9,000 passenger trips each day. Great. Thank you both for those introductions. I'm looking forward to our discussion about the new TCRP report on fare-free transit. But before we get into the details, I think it's important for us to first get a good understanding of what fare-free and partial fare-free mean. Amy, can you help us with that? Absolutely. Yeah. So defining these terms was the first step of our research because they can be and regularly are interpreted differently by different people in transit systems. We also found that most transit agencies do have some portion of services for which they don't charge a fare. But generally speaking, full fare-free transit is when a transit agency does not collect fares from any of its riders. And partial fare-free transit is when a transit agency does not collect fares from specific groups of riders or on certain routes or services or during certain times or in defined geographic areas, such as a downtown. So why is this work important now? And what methodology did you use to develop an evaluation framework? Yeah, so given the heightened focus on equitable fare policy, and the suspension of fares for many systems during COVID, uh, there's many choices for transit agencies to make right now as to how and to whom they offer fare discounts. And despite this increased interest in fare-free transit, prior to our research, we were not aware of any guidance to evaluate this critical decision to better understand how changing fare policy impacts not only a transit agency, but also its riders and the communities it serves. And so this report presents a framework or practical guidance in the form of 10 steps to evaluate the potential benefits, costs, and trade-offs of implementing either full or partial fare-free transit. This research also builds on the findings of a 2012 TCRP synthesis report, Synthesis 101, which is Implementation and Outcomes of Fare-Free Transit Systems, and a literature and media review of academic research, planning work, and journalism on fare-free transit today. And so through this review, the research team identified two main topics. The first is fare-free transit impacts. And so we looked at how to measure and anticipate the effects of fare-free transit 
for both transit agencies and the communities they serve. And then the other main topic was fare-free transit evaluations. And so we looked at how transit agencies who have implemented fare-free have evaluated the impacts and how they are assessing the long-term success of fare-free transit in their communities. So what were some of the transit agencies and other partners that you contacted? Yeah, so to better understand the current state of the practice of fare-free transit evaluation and to inform the development of the evaluation framework for this report, the research team completed a transit agency survey with 35 agencies, and we developed 23 case studies. In addition, we also conducted interviews with staff from transit agencies who had implemented Fair Free. We spoke with community organizations, as, and additionally, we spoke with transit advocacy groups across the country. And what did you discover from those interviews and case studies? Well, we found that transit agencies shared a wide variety of reasons for why their transit agency was either studying or implementing partial or full fare-free transit. The most common goal amongst all the agencies we spoke with was increasing ridership. Almost 40% of agencies stated this is one of the main reasons they chose to eliminate fares. Efficiency and operational considerations were also top reasons for implementing or wanting to implement a fare-free system. Transit agencies wanted to reduce dwell times by eliminating the cumbersome boarding payment process, as well as remove the duty of fare collection and enforcement from their drivers. And for smaller agencies, not charging a fare sometimes made financial sense, as the operational expense of collecting fares actually outweighed the revenue collected from fares. And then finally, equitable and increased access to transit were driving factors for many agencies, large and small, with a desire to remove a financial burden on their lower income riders. Given these motivating factors and stated transit agency goals, how does this inform the framework developed in this report? Well, given these goals and objectives for the agencies we spoke with, we found that evaluating the impact of fare-free policies and programs can be categorized into four main themes. The first is access, mobility, and equity. The second is operational efficiency. Financial health is the third. And then the final impact area was community impacts or how fare-free service may influence the local economy, reduce traffic congestion, and improve sustainability metrics. Can you dig into these a bit more? Sure. So for each of these four themes, we proposed in the report a set of evaluation questions. And so some of the common critical questions that agencies are facing under each of these areas include, so for access, mobility, and equity, questions such as, will fare-free transit increase ridership? And will this ridership be more trips from existing riders, or will it be new riders? For operational efficiency, evaluation questions included, Will a change in fare policy result in the need for more transit service? So will there be additional cost to the agency? Or will there be additional safety and security impacts? And then what about operational improvements, such as faster boarding time? Can that be quantified in terms of improving operations? For financial health, some of the evaluation questions include what resources will replace fare revenue? And will the savings on fare collection offset that lost revenue? And then finally, for community impacts, some evaluation questions include, will fare-free reduce dependence on single occupancy vehicles? And also, can fare-free help support the local economy by improving access to jobs and other opportunities? Great. Thank you. These are very interesting and important questions. Agreed. 
And so for each of these impact areas, we propose that transit agencies identify the opportunities and challenges related to any proposed elimination of fares, and then make a plan to evaluate those potential impacts, which could be both positive and negative, a little more closely, based again on what their goals and objectives are at their particular transit agency and in their community. And can you explain how transit agencies can measure those impacts? I'll share just a couple of examples. So for ridership impacts, agencies can measure the overall increase in the number of trips. They'll also want to look at paratransit ridership, as well as the number of new riders, not just additional trips by existing riders. For estimating operational impacts, agencies can look at boarding times, as well as on-time performance of their service. But they'll also want to look at impacts to paratransit hours if those are going up. And if increased demand for both fixed and paratransit service is impacting vehicle capacity or causing overcrowding of the system. So, Christina, can you share what was important to Link and how Link Transit evaluated fare-free transit decisions? Yeah, sure. So on the financial side, we went through a cost-benefit analysis and realized we actually had a pretty solid business case for zero fare. Our region historically has leaned pretty conservative, so making that business case was critically important for buy-in from our board of directors. In 2019, the percent of our operational costs made up of fares, or also what's known as fare box recovery, was actually less than 5%, and that resulted in a net of about $580,000 to our agency when accounting for all the costs associated with collecting money. Also in that year, due to several specific routes that actually already operated without a fare, nearly half of our system riders already were not paying when they boarded our buses. And finally, we had really old fare box technology, just cash drop boxes and a mobile ticketing option. So if we wanted to upgrade to kind of the bare minimum of accepting magnetics and smart cards, we would easily have been looking at maybe $1.5 million or potentially a lot more. So on the operational side, we also reviewed what we expected to see in terms of fixed route ridership increases and compared that with max loads uh, on our vehicles. So essentially, we figured out that we had the capacity to absorb the increased ridership, which kind of was a win-win from the perspective of making the most of our investments, using taxpayer resources wisely, while also promoting equity outcomes and being just kind of overall a good thing for our community. Thank you. Let's take a moment for a short break and then continue our conversation with our guests, Amy Patin, Christina Barone, and Sarah Engel. You can become involved with the work of the Transit Cooperative Research Program, TCRP. Submit new research topics. Serve as a panel member. Propose to conduct TCRP research or serve as a contractor. Visit the Transit Cooperative Research Program for more information at www.trb.org slash TCRP. Thank you for listening to this episode of Transit Research Today. I'm your host, Diane Schwager, and I'm joined by Amy Patin, Christina Barone, and Sarah Engel. Amy is one of the authors of a new TCRP report titled Fair Free Transit Evaluation Framework, Christina and Sarah represent two transit agencies who have implemented fare-free policies for their riders. Before the break, we were moving over to learn from Christina and Sarah what the study team found in how transit agencies determine what to charge riders for their service. 
Yeah. So this is Christina with Link Transit again. So as with many other agencies, we actually stopped collecting fares due to COVID-19. So rather than start collecting fares again, uh, back in May 2021, our board authorized a one-year zero fare pilot program to review three things. So first was unanticipated increases in ADA paratransit demand. The second was levels of inappropriate behavior on the buses and our transit facilities. And the third was the level of increased ridership encouraged by the zero fare policy. So over the course of the pilot year, we reviewed our paratransit ridership compared to historical numbers. We reviewed on-route incidents and other incidents at our facilities, and we tracked ridership recovery from COVID compared to other agencies in the state of Washington and also across the U.S. So beyond compiling that information, we also did a few things internally. So we met with all of our operators to talk about kind of why we were doing the zero for a pilot. We also did a poll with them to understand their opinions about keeping the policy permanently. It was really important for us to be able to report on that. We also conducted some research, including reviewing past TCRP work and knowing that fair enforcement is actually the top contributor to operator assaults is something that I think really resonated. We also added some more security staff at our downtown transit center prior to our board making a final decision about whether to make our zero fare policy permanent moving forward. So we presented all of this information and our staff recommendation was to adopt a system-wide zero fare policy. Beyond our strong business case, zero fare supports ridership growth and better use of our resources. It's easier operationally and administratively, and ultimately it helps the most vulnerable in our community. And our board actually unanimously approved moving forward with the system-wide zero fare policy, which was a great result. I can imagine that each transit agency has its own set of unique circumstances when it comes to fare policy. Sarah, can you tell us more about RIPTA's experience with fare-free transit service? Absolutely. Unlike Link Transit, at RIPTA, fare box revenue has always been a key element of our budget, accounting for nearly 20% of our operating revenue. During COVID, we did two things that were a little different from many transit agencies. One, we didn't cut service at all, and two, we continued collecting fares. Although our ridership did drop significantly during the lockdown, we continued to see nearly 20,000 daily passenger trips during even the quietest months of the pandemic. Many of those trips were taken by individuals riding fare-free through our long-standing reduced fare bus pass program, which enables low-income seniors and people with disabilities to ride for free throughout our network. So RIPTA's journey with fare-free transit is really one that focuses on targeting fare benefits to those most in need based on income and other factors. The roots of our fare-free program date back to the 1990s. Soon after the Americans with Disabilities Act was adopted by Congress, advocates in Rhode Island began calling for an expansion of the Federal Transit Administration's half-fare rule, which provides for seniors and people with disabilities to ride at half fare during off-peak hours. Our local advocates lobbied for fare-free travel during peak as well as off-peak hours. And in 1997, our current program was established where through an application process, individuals provide documentation of their age, disability, and income, and if qualified, receive a special photo ID bus pass that allows them to ride for free. Prior to COVID, these trips accounted for a quarter to a third of all trips taken on RIPTA which, needless to say, has a major impact on our budget. RIPTA receives partial reimbursement through the state for this program, but to a large extent, the cost of the program is simply baked into our funding model. 
So clearly, one of the most challenging impacts of fare-free transit is the impact on revenue. Christina, can you talk about how Link was able to provide fare-free service without impacts on operations? Sure. So kind of what made it a no-brainer for us is that we're incredibly fortunate to be in a strong financial position. We passed a successful sales tax initiative back in August 2019 for an additional two-tenths of 1%. And then on top of that, the Washington State Legislature approved significant new funding for transit in March 2022. This is actually estimated to bring in about $2 million annually for Link, with a requirement that riders 18 and under ride for free. So this new move ahead Washington revenue easily replaced our prior fare revenue. Kind of as a side note, I know one of the arguments I sometimes hear against fare-free is that the cost of getting rid of fares is actually better spent adding new service. But as a reminder, kind of in our case, our fare-box recovery in 2019 was less than 5%, and reallocating that dollar amount, again, that was about $580,000, to providing free fares actually allowed us to spread those benefits across the system to all of our riders compared with what that dollar amount might have done in terms of adding service. It just wouldn't have gone very far. So, Sarah, how does this compare to RIPTA's experience? Well, the funding picture looks pretty different here in Rhode Island. Transit operations here are primarily funded through the gas tax, and there isn't much appetite for growing that funding pot or adding new sources of dedicated revenue like sales tax. It's really about living within our means when it comes to state and local transit funding here. So, to a large extent, our work is a balancing act between meeting service demand, providing statewide coverage, and addressing equity. When COVID hit, we had just put the finishing touches on a system-wide master plan that was developed with a huge amount of rider input. And what we heard from riders was that more than anything, they wanted to see greater span and frequency of service in the future. Their level of satisfaction with fares was pretty high, but we did want to address a gap in our fare benefit program, which was low-income people below the age of 60 who did not have a disability. And last year, we took the opportunity to pursue two pilot projects to explore potential ways to address this gap. In the first pilot, we waived fares on the R-Line, our highest ridership route. Many other transit agencies, including our neighbors at the MBTA, were pursuing similar efforts and seeing strong increases in ridership, which was heartening. The state allocated a portion of its COVID recovery funds to replace fare revenue, which helped keep the fiscal impact of this project neutral. While we also saw a ridership increase, we found that without ongoing funding support, waiving fares for all riders would not be sustainable. And interestingly, when asked, a majority of riders stated that they preferred maintaining fare collection, sustaining our means-tested fare benefit program, and prioritizing service frequency and span improvements to the greatest extent possible. Our second pilot is ongoing. For this effort, we provided fare passes to 775 low-income riders not qualifying for our Senior Disabled Pass program in partnership with a dozen community organizations. Support for this program has been very high, and now we're working to transition to a sustainable model where partner organizations will cover most or all of the cost of the passes in the same way that employers and educational institutions offer transit benefits to their employees and students. These partnerships are highly beneficial for all concerns because With reliable transportation, more people are able to access employment, education, training, medical care, and affordable housing, and access to opportunity is everybody's goal. I think that's a perfect note to end on. Before we say goodbye, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Transit Research Today. 
And of course, thank you, Amy, Christina, and Sarah for joining me for this discussion. If you want a copy of TCRP Report 237 Fair Free Transit Evaluation Framework, it's available for free as a download. Please go to trb.org, that's trb.org, or just Google and enter the title. Thank you very much. Thank you.